Welcome to the Honest Labor Podcast, where we look at life lessons through the lens of woodworking. This is episode one, Prelude to Perfection. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. I'm pretty excited about this article today. I think it's going to be a good conversation. What's it called, Murray? It's called Ancestral Voices. So for tonight, I chose an article written called Down to Earth. It portrays craft, specifically woodwork, to, to be a grounding activity for people. Good evening, gents. Good evening. Good evening. Ready to talk about another article? Let's do it. All right. So for tonight, I chose an article written called Down to Earth. Um, I thought it was a very uh, fitting article. Um, very relevant today, I would say. Uh, and... You know, the overall theme of the article that I took away is that it um, it portrays uh, craft, specifically woodwork, to, to be a grounding activity for people. And, and it's something that you really can't go halfway in. You got to give it, give it everything you got if, if you want to be excellent at it. It's not something you can just... Um, dabble in and expect extraordinary results. You, you got it. You got to put your work into it. And um, Hayward really does a good job at um, relating that to, to pretty much anyone who who does any type of craft with their hands, I feel like. Um So the, the first kind of quote that, um, that jumped out at me was, uh, visions of fine craftsmanship have to be reared upon hard facts and the essential value of all such work is that it compels us to acquire the skill or quit. And there is no half measure for the man who wants to do good work. And that's, uh, I, I starred that last sentence cause it's something that, um, we can, uh, apply to really anything we do in life you know if um if you want to do good work you, you can't can't be half in you gotta give it everything for sure and i think what stuck out to me about how he uses craft as the measure of this is that it's so empirical you know it's like right in front of you you know if that joint is is cut cleanly and you know if if uh, you know, a piece of trim is installed level, it's, it's empirical. Whereas I think that you know, so much of... Well, put it another way, there's no ability to move the goalpost. You, know, you can't... Right. The you materials know, don't lie. Yeah, you. it's either there or it's not. There's no explaining it away or justifying why it isn't how it should be. It's either there or it's not. And I think that black and white cut dry sort of you know in your face um reality is really refreshing and it's inescapable mm -hmm. um most to the person doing it mm -hmm. you know i mean maybe 
uh, a craftsman could pass off shoddy work to a layperson and gloss over it or, or, you know, hide the fact that they cut a corner mm-hmm. literally and figuratively possibly. But, <laughs> but they can't, you know, if they know what they're doing and they know that happened, they can't lie to themselves. And, a, and a, as a craft, as a skill, you know, to be held accountable to yourself, I think that's the highest form of integrity and and so he can, he just takes it to such a deep philosophical place, but I really uh, I really admire that because you know it, it all comes down to honesty mm-hmm. with yourself, mm-hmm. which you know that's what he's getting at. Yeah, and he he talks here the woodworker who wants to do a good job has to set about it in honestly and in good faith. So totally, uh, the, the, there are so many, so many things going through my head right now. One of the things that I like to say in the Sloyd classroom is that the square is my best friend <laughs> because it doesn't lie. Yeah. yeah. And my, I like friends who don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's along these lines, right? I mean, there's you, you on your, in your individual experience, you make a cut and you check it and it's reality, right? Like you said, it's empirical. And it's a universal truth that is cross-generational for as long as man has been and will be, and it's cross-cultural, right? And there aren't a whole lot, especially these days, of those universal truths Mm -hmm. that can kind of bind us and establish that common ground. Um, I like that because it, it, it cuts through so much of like the bullshit in our society that mm-hmm. you know, the differentiators everybody you know these days the cliche is you know you want to find all the d- divisions the differences mm-hmm. between us but you know it's like the soft sciences of psychology sociology anthropology versus the hard sciences of physics you know so, and, so along those lines I, i'd like to go back to the second paragraph i, I think yeah, that he this, talks about that there this one is interesting And if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to read it real quick. Mm -hmm. A great deal of theorizing the sheer froth and bubble of contemporary life is caused by a kind of over-intellectualism. Too much headwork against too little handwork. Expert contradicts expert, and the prophets disagree. All revolving in circles of words and figures which make a good deal of noise, but leave the world's problems just where it found them. Sounds familiar. It may present rather a comic figure to set them all to work quietly, with wood and a saw, but there is an even chance that they might learn that way to solve problems instead of eternally creating them. Mm-hmm. Maybe I went down the wrong path in, on, on this paragraph, but I, I started thinking a lot about egos and humility. I got that too from this. Yeah. That's the first word right. I wrote down. All right. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So let me hand it over to you guys then, and, and I want I want to hear your guys' thoughts then. I simply wrote to that paragraph: less talk, more action. Because uh, it, that your actions aren't aren't going to lie. You know, you got to walk the walk, kind of thing, and and you can't you can't fake that when you're working with your hands, doing, mm-hmm. doing anything, trying to pursue a, a craft. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I, and I think that, yeah, exactly. You've got to, the evidence is there before you. And I think that so much of what we're faced with these days is, is like all about, you know, the ego, fluffing up the ego. I am a great person because, you know, my social media page has great mm-hmm. pictures of my travels, even though, you know, the, not that I want to go down that rabbit hole of mm-hmm. like the falsification, but it's like all of this bluster. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, you know, we live in Colorado and for me, living by the mountains has always been a really grounding force because it's very physical. Again, it's like evidence that we are small physically. We are very small. You see that when you look at the mountains and they're huge or the ocean, you know, if you're in a city, my brother lives in Chicago and he has a beautiful view of the Chicago skyline. I mean, it's, it's postcard worthy, but like, you're not getting humbled by looking at something like that. You're, it's quite the opposite. I would say you're, you're, saying look at how big you know man is mankind has built all this like we are so important you know and by design and you know through that i am so important but you see something like natural and it's so big it's a reminder that we are small and you know some people probably egotistical people think small is a bad word but to me small is a really good word and something that is should be a daily reminder. I try to remind myself of that constantly, you know. And in anyways, you know, I think humility is the key there because then we can approach the world with open eyes and find, you know, the reason for living. And we'll get to this later in the article because he talks about, um, you know, how to get the best out of life. And I think that it all starts with this basis of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, to find out what you're actually trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. find happiness. Mm-hmm. What builds up egos? What drives egos? I, I've got it boiled down to a few things. Shoot. Money, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, power, of course. And attention. Attention is one that I'm, I'm pretty interested in because attention it, it, attention almost everybody can relate to in some way shape or form and, and that attention is what kind of gives that feel good right I mean it, it feels good to get a like right mm-hmm. <clears throat> I also have been thinking about the fact that this is not true of money or power, but it is true of attention, that attention is present through our whole lives as children, even in school, right? You do things and you get attention. And that is kind of what, it gives you confidence, right? But then it can teeter-totter and spill over into building ego. I don't know exactly where I'm going with this. I can jump in there because please you. The question you asked was, "What drives ego?" And you posited it was, you know, money, power, and attention. I think I would say those things feed ego. Okay. And what drives ego is insecurity. <laughs> okay. Mm. I I yeah. I've been thinking about insecurities through yeah. 
through this reflection of this this uh, article. As yeah, well. and, and like the line to start out with is, and I don't think we read this yet, but um, the woodworker who wants to do a good job has to set out about it honestly in good faith. You did say that, Paul, mm-hmm. but he conti- Hayward says after that he is not betrayed by the rash optimism of the amateur into thinking a thing looks so easy that he will do it in no time at all, having learned long ago that nothing is as easy as it looks. And I feel like there's that humility again. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And let's see. And I think in particular, though, uh, this is really applicable to individual efforts and endeavors. And, you know, we get humbled by people when we're one-upped, right? Which can be a good thing. I think that finding... I know that there are so many people that are out there in this big, wide world that are infinitely better than me in almost everything that I do. In everything that I do. (laughs) Right? Um... But when it comes to the, the own individual effort, which I think those opportunities are really fleeting from our society and our culture, right? Then, then you get humbled by the hard facts, by the, that reality that we were kind of talking about before. And this is something I, I want to get into a little bit later too, but um, I, I think that that is an important and um, an important theme of what he's trying to pull out here as well. And he talks about, you know, that individual aspect mm-hmm. too. Um, so if I could read a little bit more, he says, um, each advance has to be made through you know, craftsman's own individual effort. He may receive help and advice from a man with more experience, or he may struggle along unaided, but according to the effort and determination he brings to the job, so will his skill be, and so will it grow. This it is which gives a man a sense of balance, of belonging to a real world over which he has some power, even if that power be limited. And... You know, I think that also speaks to, as far as building confidence, that's just giving yourself a sense of agency. Yeah. Like you have the power to control your situation to some extent. And, and maybe this doesn't have to t- tie in directly with ego, but I think that insecurity certainly comes with a sense of, of not having any agency, not having an ability to control your situation. And so... What I get from this is that through finding the ability and the skill to to do a craft, to do, to do anything creative, you are realizing that you do have power, you do have control, and thus you can build confidence and find that place in the world, um, which is just going to lead to you know all good things, the antidotes to the mm-hmm. you know the, the cover ups for ego. Yeah. I think that there's a historical element to all of this as well. Um, kind of back to that second paragraph that I read before about the 
um, experts contradicting the experts and the prophets disagree. I think that there's a lot that he was um, acknowledging with respect to the geopolitical issues that were going on in the world at that time. This was 1963. Civil mm-hmm. rights movement was in full swing. I think that this was the year that, J- or that JFK mm-hmm. got assassinated as well. Um, <clears throat> there, there was a lot of big, serious things going on. And the idea, and I think all of us probably feel this, especially <laughs> post-COVID, there's so much in this world that goes on that we don't have any power over. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now? Right. So, so much of what we get in our news feeds, we're consumers of. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's literally nothing that we as individuals can do. But we as humans are hardwired to to still want to exert some sense of power over the natural world that's around us and I think that especially the real natural world not the virtual world that's around Mm -hmm. us and again that's something I want to lean into a little bit more as we go on here Um, to where we're able to shape it literally and figuratively in a way that um, best suits our needs and in a way where we're giving it our all. It is not a, a half-hearted effort, um, but still acknowledging you're going to make mistakes along the way. You're going to have caps in your joints. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> you learn to fill the caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I like a lot about woodworking. Is it's very empowering you know when you're when you're in in your space doing your thing uh at the bench um you're just you can be in your own little world and you're just working the material and uh, you get that instant feedback from tear out or are the grains cutting nice and clean or my tools are sharp you know it's it's just a a very real experience which leads perfectly into the next topic that he brings up. And the word simply is intuition. So, Paul, how would you describe your intuition? How it has matured over the course of the last, I don't know, as long as you've been doing what you do. Yeah. And what intuition means to you and how you utilize it. Hmm. In regards to my craft yeah. as a furniture maker, I'd, I'd say my intuition is um, it's definitely you know, de- developed quite a bit since, mm-hmm. since I started building cabinets, and it's, it's fun to, to look back on mm-hmm. the seemingly crappy pieces of work I've done, you know, and how much I've regressed and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I can, I, I've, I view pieces of furniture and tools and processes much differently now than when I used to. I, I would say if anything, I've, 
I've gained a confidence that uh, that I can if I put all my focus into something I can I can get it I can get it done I can handle it I can figure it out like there's nothing that's too intimidating uh, in in regards to furniture making maybe I haven't done it yet but I have uh, I've developed the tools to not physical tools but you know my my yeah. confidence and my knowledge on, on right. using tools and understanding wood movement and grain and all that mm-hmm. to, to be able to accomplish something it's more of a strategic view of of how something is is built I guess mm-hmm this may be a total tangent to anything in the article and anything pertaining to our conversation here, but you brought something up that I think is kind of an interesting concept because I can relate to it and I'm, I'm, I'm still very much in the middle of my path of quote unquote craftsmanship. I'd say I, I may fall maybe into the apprentice category, Paul. I, I'll say that we're all apprentices. You know? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> all right. We're all students. We're all learning. You know, we're on different paths, okay. different places. No, it's, totally. So I, I'm in my own place. But nevertheless, I can relate to what you said, where you can look back on some of the crappy pieces that you made early on. I can do that, too. We're mm-hmm. sitting at one right here. <laughs> okay. And, and this is something that when I first made, I was, for the listeners, we're sitting at my dining room table. And it's a farmhouse table that's made of reclaimed Douglas fir. It was from a barn that fell down out in California. And I didn't have the right tools, but I didn't know any better. And I didn't know the standards. And I didn't know the processes and the methods. But nevertheless, I, I wanted to make a table. So I did. And when I finished it, I was dang proud of it. I was really proud of it. Mm -hmm. Now, moving further in my own path, I've learned more of the skills, the techniques. I've become better, right? But I think there's something to be said about developing a sense of pride in that delta, mm-hmm. you have a very tangible element of what your baseline was that you can look at it and say, wow, literally look how far I've come. Right. Right. And I, it, there just aren't many real experiences in life in which you have something like that. And that delta alone that we can look at as a source of it's a snapshot surps, in time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think there's a nostalgia to it as well, but maybe that nostalgia comes from being a benchmark of of where you started and where you are. Um, but there's something I think that is really, you know, like pure about mistakes and and trying to seek perfection is one thing, but like you know, I think about. Like I love, I love music, and for me, a lot of the times things go back to, to music, and I think about today. So much of pop music is is so produced. You know, if if you mess up the vocals, you're 
your voice is tuned up or if you hit a wrong note you just go back and you re-record it or whatever mm -hmm. but like i think about some of the old bob dylan records in particular there's one called nashville skyline which is like his country album and the first song is one he does with johnny cash and the two of them are just recording it live and like they like hit the wrong notes on the guitar. They, like, aren't singing the same words at the same time. <laughs> and it's just, like... But it, it's it's so beautiful and real. And yeah. I love it, you know? Yeah. And, and so... I wonder, like... What the correlation between... Like, perfection and skill is. You know? Like, because people always make mistakes. Um, and... Uh, staying with music like I was watching this video of Stevie Wonder listening to some of his old stuff with some guys uh, in, the, in the recording studio and he was like wait play that back like isolate the harmonica he's like I messed up there and nobody like would know it right but he was he just started laughing because he like you could hear it when he like pointed it out totally and mm -hmm. I just like love that because it makes you feel like connected to these people like they're not infallible mm -hmm. you know not to say we're not all seeking perfection but there's mm -hmm. something like you know really endearing about mistakes and i guess the question is you take going back to woodworking like you know would would somebody else find you know early work as endearing or is it just because it's like personal it's part of our personal journey i think more it's a part of our personal journey mm -hmm. I, I, most of the people that come in this house and look at this table and like oh wow that table is so cool and I'm like <laughs> it needs some work yeah. and I'm planning on making a new one and this one's probably going to become firewood <laughs> <laughs> literally um, but I think that a lot of that and, and in craft in particular and Paul you can probably relate and add to this is that most people don't recognize a the standard of work the quality of work or b the, the actual work that goes into achieving that standard yeah yeah I, I would say a vast majority of people who who see find furniture they don't really quite understand what goes into it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think any that holds true for so much of like what people when they become experts when they become really dedicated to something you know it's lay people know what they know mm -hmm. and sometimes you know they don't care mm -hmm. um I, I do a lot of writing as well and like i'll sit and fuss with a single sentence mm -hmm. for literally hours Mm -hmm. you know trying to get it perfectly right when you know 95 out of 100 would be like have no idea what i'm like pressing right. over right yeah. right you know? i'm sure the same could be said for mm -hmm. you know, single joints and super minute details mm -hmm. but that is also like as far as craft and creativity goes like i think where the real like that that attention to detail is where where like the the pride and the joy comes from too is getting that right even if nobody else understands it right you guys know this thing about like like the gargoyles in um in 
like medieval times, like even the Renaissance, I guess. So like when they were like building churches in Europe, and they put the gargoyles on to like scare away spirits, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But um, there are gargoyles on those buildings that nobody will ever see. Like literally the only person that has ever seen that is like the craftsman who up there who carved it out of stone, <laughs> hidden in some like flying buttress, you know, a hundred feet up from, you know, the streets of Paris or something. Mm-hmm. And, and like what they said is like, well, God sees it. Mm. We carved this mm. right. And it's perfect. So they say, because God will see it. Mm. And I think that like, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like you do it for yourself, you do it for God, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Like, but you do it because it's needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think about those gargoyles a lot. Like, if I'm building some, some in some very weird part of the house that I'm working on that nobody will ever go to. But it's like, well, I should probably just make this right here. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that I do that I know no one will see, and I'm like, just get it done. No one's gonna see like the bottom of the vanity in our bathroom. <laughs> You can still see plane marks on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. just got to get it done. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, there's no gargoyle on the bottom of your vanity that's no. hard to perfection. <laughs> no. That'd be pretty cool. It'd scare away the demons in the yeah. bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that we should go to another theme. And uh, some of this fits along what we were talking about already, but I'm going to go ahead and read this next paragraph. It is he who really gets the best out of life. Work which he can show as his own creation stands as a witness to the quality he has in him. He is revealing himself in the way we all like to do, as having something which is uniquely his own and in which he can feel satisfied and fulfilled. It is a feeling which no money can buy. And for lack of it, many men in the world today are sick with the malaise and frustration and boredom. The thing which bars each of their paths with as much finality as if it were the Great Wall of China is the idea that to live happily, one need only waffle along in a cloud cuckoo land of effortless ease and the rest will follow. Can we read the next sentence, too? Because that's what really struck me. Yeah, me too. Let's uh, tease it. Yeah, yeah. We we, we will. We will. A couple ideas I want to pull out of here, though. Number one. Something which is uniquely his own and which he can feel satisfied and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. How How many things in our modern society... Do people really do that is standalone and uniquely his or her own? Well, apart from creation, be it woodworking or writing or mm-hmm. art of some kind, you know, it's it's hard to say that something is uniquely yours. Mm-hmm. Like and, de- decorating your house. I mean, that's. Perfect. That's, That's something really... that everyone does, right? Yeah. And when you go in someone else's house, you don't know very well. You can kind of, kind of get a feeling for what kind of person they are, like what their aesthetic is, or mm-hmm. if they're messy or organized. You know. I mean. Okay. 
Maybe I'm uh, no, I, I, I hear, I hear you, and I, yeah. and I agree with, I yeah. agree with that. You, you do learn a lot about a person by stepping into their house. Um, On that same note, I would say the way people dress, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that presentation they put out there for themselves is something. You can I think my my on. counter to that is that it it isn't uniquely their own because somebody else came up with the design of your shirt. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you liked it and you bought it. True. Right. And and yeah. now now it's a part of your style, right? Which mm-hmm. I like your shirt, by the way. Thanks. Uh, it, let me know who who made it. Um, but to be pure to the uniquely their own, I, I think it, it's a tall order. It's a really yeah. tall order. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even the things that we make have a degree of inspiration from other people yeah, who have made... Like all the furniture I make. Totally. I'm not reinventing the wheel. Same. Yeah, like Same. everything I write yeah. is like derivative of something. Right. Yeah. Right. Or inspired by yeah. others. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of creativity is experience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not just going to come up with this absolute thing that nobody has ever seen right. or ever done before, mm-hmm. but you're putting your own spin on influences that you've received. So kind of similar to the decoration of a house or layout of a house. I think that's kind of similar in lines of what your style is. Mm-hmm. Um, one of where I want to go is social mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. Okay. Social media is, is not uniquely your own. It, it, it's, it's a community that, is out there and and there are different pulls and and pushes and forces from other people well i wonder a couple of things come to mind with that like for one with social media like does your presence on social media exist without other people Mm -hmm. you know like to, to what extent are is the validation or even just recognition mm-hmm. from others integral to like making something mm-hmm. exist? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if the tree falls in the forest. Totally. You know? like, <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. if you make a piece of furniture, Paul, and nobody uses it, does it still exist? I mean, yeah, it's there. Mm-hmm. But, or if I write something and nobody reads it, does mm-hmm. it exist? Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, um, so I think that part is a question that needs to be answered as far as like how other people's interactions play into this stuff. Okay, here, yeah. here's the point though. If Paul makes a piece of furniture and nobody uses it, he still has the satisfaction mm-hmm. of making it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and that really, that's really all that matters. That, right. That mm-hmm. I, I made it. Right? Exactly. Or that I created something. Or, right. Or mm-hmm. I wrote something down. Totally. Yeah. And same for you, right? <clears throat> Nobody reads your book. You have the satisfaction of that experience, that journey. That's so true. Right? That's it right there. Mm-hmm. I think there's, that's, you nailed it. I mean, it's like, do you, are you doing this for yourself? Mm-hmm. Or are you doing it for other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is an opportunity for us to be selfish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, think, I think selfish mm-hmm. can be a really good driving mm-hmm. inspirational force, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then you know you take it to farther it's like 
are we being selfish by wanting to labor on a, a minute detail <laughs> yeah. over and over because it's like we're not doing it for the people for the 95 percent of people who walk in the door and say hey luke your table's awesome I yeah. love it, you know right you know it doesn't matter that that kind of like you know yeah compliments they don't they don't do it you no. know you mm-hmm. want somebody who's going to be like a fucking master craftsman mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. is awesome mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like that kind of validation but not that you need it but that's the kind of thing that that's different you know and i've th- for social media it's so true like maybe you put a bunch of cool pictures together and you're like oh that's great but you know we still all get knocked up by the likes yeah well, and here's the thing about social media is that you can hide all your gaps yeah Really right. Easily. Everybody, everybody posts their best life mm-hmm. on social media, mm-hmm. and in craft and writing and music, for those who are in their own journey, their own experience, they recognize the difficulties that go along the way. They recognize that even with a finished product, there's still issues. There are still mm-hmm. there's still room for improvement. That's nothing to like get upset about. It's something to celebrate. I right. think. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard the quote, um, I want to say it's Da Vinci, I could be wrong, that uh, art is never finished, only abandoned? Hmm. Uh, Dude, that really, I think, (laughs) there's this quote in bold here. Things which we started in high hope go stale on us. Where there are moments when difficulties crowd in, the man who can persevere in spite of them learns to be master of himself. And acquires a master touch in the work of his hands. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Going stale? Yeah. Okay. Before we go into that next sentence that both of you guys wanted to get to. <laughs> Cloud cuckoo land. <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase before? No. No. I looked it up. <laughs> Is it Was it commonly used back in the day? Yeah. So, here's... My primary source, Wikipedia. (laughs) Cloud cuckoo land is a state of absurdly over-optimistic fantasy or unrealistically idealistic state of mind where everything appears to be perfect. Someone who is said to live in a cloud cuckoo land is a person who thinks that things things that are completely impossible might happen rather than understanding how things really are. It also hints that the person referred to is naive, unaware of realities, or deranged in holding such an optimistic belief. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it begs the question, how many of us are living in a cloud cuckoo land today? Well. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And. <laughs> the metaverse. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly where my mind went, right? I mean, back to the metaverse. Like, I don't know anything about the metaverse, but from... Oh, actually, I did. I tried to find the mission statement of the metaverse. The metaverse is a vision of what many in the computer industry believe is the next iteration of the internet, a single, shared, immersive, persistent 3D virtual space where humans experience life in ways they could not in the physical world. I don't know. They don't talk about it being a cloud cuckoo land or being the overly optimistic, idealistic perfection. But isn't that kind of like the general sentiment that you guys get? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like you can create things in the in the digital realm that you cannot do 
in in the real in real life IRL right IRL <laughs> IRL um, you know I think that I see it in my world um, you know as as a builder we'll get plans from architects and engineers um, what we call means and methods of how to actually pull this shit off mm-hmm. is not included in, in those instructions um, which is great. I That's, can reinforce that being yeah. a pre, pre, prior uh, architect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, we always joke. It's like, oh, well, you know, that beam fit there when you drew it on the computer. You <laughs> right. Know? Or uh, that made, that toilet yeah. didn't have a conflict or what, you know, mm-hmm. a million things, literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really uh, upfront uh, reminder of like, how things can be pulled off and it's like the the escher stairs you know you can draw those yeah and in going all different directions but you can't build them and and to extrapolate that to what we're talking about it's like yeah you can you can imagine things you can do that in the digital realm to make it even more substantive but when you want to talk about actually bringing that into your life and making it real for yourself, for the the people that you know, that you interact with, it's a totally different story. Do you wonder, like, I kind of get back to this feeling which no money can buy, right? I mean, when you you make something, do you, like, kind of step back and look at it and be like, that's awesome. Oh, all the time. Same here, Uh right? I mean, that's that's that feeling. Do you think that that same feeling, that same depth is possible? in the metaverse for whatever people are going to make in the metaverse i don't know no i i don't think so. i right. couldn't imagine i don't know though i mean i don't know what people's mindset is in I don't when they want to literally buy a hundred thousand dollar you know nft piece of art to hang in their metaverse house. is that for real yeah <laughs> yeah you know so who who knows what Someone like that's thinking, you know, or what gets them off. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah I know. I want to go back real quick because I think this ties in. And I, I kind of was thinking about it when we were talking about, you know, Paul, met, Paul mentioned you uh, about decorating your house and or how you dress. And, and Luke, your point was like, well, somebody else made that. Mm-hmm. But I think that at some point it's like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So you take, you take a chair that somebody made and a table that some we'll just say that somebody else made for the purposes of this example. So you don't take your own stuff mm-hmm. into account here, but mm-hmm. you put all these things together. Oh, I put in a shirt and a pants and a hat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, those were all made by somebody else. Mm-hmm. But at some point, the combination of all these things becomes unique, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And... And maybe I'm, I'm just going back to that because you think about like the metaverse, like maybe people are creating all of these things in their digital world or digital representation of themselves that, you know, while they may on their own not necessarily be unique together, they're like a, you know, an, a different kind of like unique identification. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I... I, I think when it comes to reality, 
and making a chair, for example. It's taken you a lifetime to make that chair. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the act of making that chair mm-hmm. itself took a lifetime, but leading up to that, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that there has to be a pretty serious nod to that. And is there going to be that same mm-hmm. nod in the metaverse? Like, I understand what you're saying of, of people getting creative with mm-hmm. kind of their compilation or organization of different things. Well, can we talk about one thing um, that is very relevant, I think, in the digital realm, but will increasingly be so in our world, which is artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and, you know, chat GPT. What's that? Okay, so... We played around with it a couple couple weekends ago. Yeah. Me and my friends, yeah. What is it? We had to write a poem about our our friend, Uh Tommy, yeah. Was it good? Yeah, it was, it was actually pretty good. I know. Yeah. Okay, so, so Chappy, <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. Good. Um, ChatGPT is basically a um, AI powered. I call it a search engine, I guess, but chatbot. Chatbot. It yeah. essentially aggregates all the information on the internet and probably beyond um, in a way that you can interact with it as if you were talking to a, like a sentient being, you hmm. know, and you can say, I mean, write a poem about our friend mm-hmm. and you, it'll do it or it, it you can code, you know, I, I was watching a video of somebody telling it to code a program to buy and sell stocks based on the trends of the stock market. And I mean, I mean, you could go on and on and on literally forever on the things that it can do. It writes novels, you know, and it writes papers for mm-hmm. students. So instead of, you know, you go to like collegetermpaper.com or whatever, <laughs> you know, you just have ChatGPT write you a unique paper. You know, it is not plagiarizing per se, but it is not Jeez. you. And and so that's that's what is you know on the table wish we, here? Wish we had that around when I was in college. Right? <laughs> Some of those classes I didn't want to show off for. All those history papers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think about it a lot, and I think that we're going to start seeing things if people cop to it, like AI assisted. You know, like as far as um, art. You know, now what's unique, of course, about craft, especially woodworking. Is that no computer is going to do that anytime soon? Yeah. Um, and I was reading this article about this. It was written in response to Chat GPT, but what I thought was really interesting about it, it, it was, it was going back to what people thought about AI robots and how in the early days everyone assumed it was going to be, you know the blue-collar jobs that were at risk because robots were going to come in and do everything. Right. And and people at the top, you know, mm-hmm. the creative class, the um, mm-hmm. intellectual class, mm-hmm. you know, they were safe. Mm-hmm. But what seems to be occurring mm-hmm. is that it's it's the exact opposite. That, 100%. That the blue-collar jobs are safe as can be. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, we're, I, feel, I feel as a furniture maker yeah. that my craft is very grounding and whenever mm-hmm. i hear stories about you know the the 
AI and all the technology that's mm-hmm. being developed. I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to go back to my wood shop and <laughs> totally. make some wood shavings. You yeah. know, it's like, Pick up my like, 100-year-old plane. It's, just, it's very just, real. It's, yeah. And that's what's great about craft and work with your hands. It's yeah. done the same way for hundreds mm-hmm. of years. You know? DTE. Down, down to earth. Down, down to, to earth. earth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, there is a meditative aspect to labor. Um, whatever, I mean fine labor and skilled labor but even you know digging a hole Mm -hmm. you know it's that presence and it is that ability to focus on the moment at hand period okay so ai chat gpt what does gpt stand for you know i I don't know i can't remember some some shit yeah goes back to that cloud cuckoo land Mm -hmm. right cloud cuckoo land of effortless ease and the rest will follow Right. Mm-hmm. Well, write I your like, term paper. Yeah. Go check out Chat GPT, and then, then I don't have to go through the work and effort. Well, it, it's right? like literally the Matrix. I just think about that a lot too, as a movie where you could download, you know, what is it? He downloads like some martial arts, um, and then he can fight. You know, mm-hmm. it's like people erroneously equate information, which we are awash in all the time with knowledge and then equate knowledge with wisdom but they are not the same thing and just because we can google whatever we want or we can you know chat gpt whatever we want right. and we can get something spit out of a computer yeah doesn't mean it is ours or we mm-hmm. understand it mm-hmm. and i think that's a fundamental error that is you know will get made gotta have the experience that was deep yeah. Marty that was deep nice. I like it yeah. speaking of deep you digging a hole yeah right digging a hole I think that leads perfectly into that sentence that you guys want to talk about the fact that the true enjoyment of life is best achieved through the discovery and development of personal and creative skills does not even occur to them the cloud cuckoo people yes Yes, relating to the cloud cookie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's the answer right there. As far as how to bring you down to earth and into that place where life makes sense. Life has a meaning. We're not just out there you know, searching, whiffing for it on, on the internet. This next paragraph I really like too. And there we can all truly feel at home so long as we are conscious within ourselves of some kind of power to cope with its demands. A power which we alone, by the persevering effort of our wills, can release and see develop into fruitful work. I like the idea of feeling truly at home. Mm -hmm. Right? And earlier in the article he talks about finding a sense of balance through this. And I think that that is something that so many people are constantly yearning for. Mm-hmm. And I think that in addition to that feeling which no money can buy, it it brings a, about that that grounding, right? And that home. What is what is home here? Do you think that he's talking about? I have an idea. I'm curious what you guys think. And there we can all truly feel at home. I feel like 
home is based in commitment to me. You know, it's, you know, in, in a in a literal sense, you know, we're all married. Like, home means family, you know, committing to mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I think from a craft perspective, home means committing to a skill, a trade, an art, mm-hmm. you know, and, and deciding I don't care about the other things. I'm not going to be an actor. I don't care about acting. But I do care about writing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel a sense of, like, the broader sense of home, of, like, comfort when I am pursuing that. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've chosen to pursue it. And <clears throat> that act of pursuit is very grounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a commitment. I think feeling at home is also that that f- that. F- Feel of being satisfied and fulfilled with with something real that you've accomplished. Yeah. You know when I, yeah, I feel at home when I, when I'm surrounded by the piece of furniture that I've created over the years. Yeah. And it's just like this really good feeling. Mm-hmm. And and I've felt before like you, almost an anxiety or an angst when, you know, I'm. I'm pursuing something vigorously like a, a task or a goal and you know it makes you wake up early in the morning and get to work and try and pursue that but like if you if you can get that feeling of being fulfilled and, and finishing something and creating then for me it, it, it's more of a, a relaxing I'm at home kind of feeling mm-hmm I want, can I ask you what when imagine a situation when you would feel like far away from home, you know, completely ungrounded. Because so I think I can help define home too. Like, you know, I could, I have some ideas, but I'm curious. I would say without if if you were without a a goal, uh, a major goal, I'd say like. Maybe you're just working a dead end job, and it's not like you're plateauing. I'd say I like to feel at home if I if I have have that goal that I'm working towards mm-hmm. and it's in sight. Um, maybe that makes sense. I, I don't know if I can answer your question right yet. I, I want to get. I want to offer my two cents on where he's going with with home, uh-huh. and I think it's just simply the physical world, and I, I think it's the opposite of the cloud cuckoo land. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that if we as humans feel comfortable in the physical world around us and are equipped with some skill. Whatever that skill is, whether it's music, whether it's writing, whether it's craft, whether it's something, but it's something real, right? I I think that that is where, if we're able to find that comfort, right? I mean, we're comfortable in our own homes. Mm -hmm. Are our own homes perfect? No. (laughs) Far from, right? But we're comfortable... And our own, we're, we're comfortable with that imperfection. 
Mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know. That's where I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. The opposite of cloud cuckoo land. Mm -hmm. So your question. Well, hold on. Can I say something? Like we're comfortable with the... I like that because the comfortable with the imperfection is like makes me think of that Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash record. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not only comfortable with it, but that's in a way what kind of defines it. You know, like that imperfection is is just as defining as the perf- perfection. Well, and, and and for all all of the in air quotes imperfections in that recording look at all of the perfections mm-hmm. right and again giving that nod to all of that time work and energy that they put into their craft leading up to that day of recording mm-hmm. right and the experience of the listener simultaneously recognizing that but also recognizing that they're humans mm-hmm Right. Well, I would argue too that like they they are capturing a single moment there, and it is grounding in that it's very present. You know, yeah, it's it, genuine. It's genuine. Yeah. yeah, it's right there. And whether even though we might be listening to it fifty years later, it's still, you know, as you say, it's capturing a moment in time that was, you know, brought forth by. Like two amazing careers mm-hmm. that met in one day, and and we get to relive that individual moment again and again. Mm-hmm. His last sentence is a little dim and gloomy. Yeah, <laughs> but if we fail, we fail. Lamently, because we shall have betrayed the best of ourselves. That's what's at stake. It's like we can go through this life trying to live for an undefined purpose. Maybe that's impressing other people. Maybe that's satisfying an ego. Or we can find something that is going to be honest and true to ourselves and pursue it mm-hmm. and find that humility and that truth and that happiness mm-hmm. within. Mm-hmm. Paul, in your woodworking journey, would you ever say that there were insecurities that you had that, in woodworking in particular, that brought about <clears throat> anxiety or like I don't know some serious negative emotions I'm just totally curious oh yeah okay (laughs) all the time all right I remember the first time I stepped up to a lathe to turn a spindle when I was in school and I had never never touched a lathe before Mm -hmm. then that was that was like the one thing that I I hadn't done really before I got to it and I was terrible at it. It was tough. It was challenging. And I don't like sucking at things. <laughs> it was frustrating for me. And uh Okay. Yeah, it was it was tough. Uh but you just gotta take it slow and just 
be patient. I have to, I had to be patient with myself. And that's what I try and do. Like when I encounter other challenges within woodworking is just, just to take a step back and slow it down. Maybe be patient and just tell myself it's okay to make mistakes. Do you, do you find yourself comparing your work to others or to your own work more? Yeah, it's hard. I I think probably both. I mean, it's good to compare your work with mm-hmm. with peers. Mm-hmm. Just I would say more for inspiration because mm-hmm. uh, so many great makers out there are just creating awesome pieces of furniture, mm-hmm. and it's inspiring, mm-hmm. right? And absolutely. But I'm also trying to create my own aesthetic, right? And and it's fun watching that develop over the years with yeah. every piece yeah. I make. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I, I try not to um, compare too much the quality of my work to, to others. Yeah, right. Because, uh, like, I, you know, when someone says, when maybe someone new that I meet learns that I'm a, a furniture maker and they're a hobbyist woodworker or they're just getting into it, they almost feel like shadowed and i i try and tell people like we're we're all we're walking a different path and we're all at a different spot in our journey as a craftsman so so you can't really compare you know what i do to what you do cuz cuz i'm i'm in a different spot on the on the journey so he's describing me <laughs> <laughs> in the shadow no i i, no, I, I, I i'm kidding but what you're saying you you you're you are exemplifying humility, right? Even though, I mean, you, I know you say you're in the apprentice category. I consider you to be in the craftsman category in, in, in what you do. And <clears throat> I think where I'm going with this is that in this reality, in this physical world, where we have the ability to exert the power of our own will, our own experience, our own skill over something over the course of a a period of time, a long period of time, where our comparison is more to ourself and our own journey rather than to everybody else. And I think it's much more palatable and that sense of pride again, simultaneously, for us to accept our own shortcomings because we can see how far we have developed. I mean, it's that, that whole growth mm-hmm. mindset thing, right? We're, we never stop learning, and I believe that with my whole heart. Um, as long as we're able to <laughs> embrace that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it turns into not a comparison of our own journey, our own growth, but a comparison to others. That's when I, I suspect the more negative emotions, the more negative effects on mental health can start to bubble up to the surface. Right. I mean, the ego, again, money, power and attention, 
If we're always looking for that attention, we're not getting that attention. We have those insecurities that we talked about, right? Are you insecure about your own work? No, because I, I, I wouldn't say I'm insecure. I, I, I know. Mm, how do I put it? For our listeners, he shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm always, uh, I'm always on the pursuit for excellence, mm-hmm. right? So, um, I'm always trying to do better the next time. But do you? Would you say that you sim- simultaneously give some? release to the fact that excellence and perfection in almost any every piece there's going to be something oh yeah there's always something wrong with there's something, something. Yeah. well i wonder does excellence exist in a tangible form or is excellence more of mm. a um mm. more of an attitude you know? i would say it's an attitude I like that. It, it comes back to the quote here. There is no half measure for the man who wants to do good work. Yeah. It's like, no matter what right. we're doing, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to get better at whatever I'm doing, whether it be, yeah. I like that skiing thing. or mm-hmm. kayaking or, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, then excellence by default cannot exist. Perfection cannot exist in a single piece. You know, you're always striving to be better, which I think, any, yeah, true craft person is trying to do then there's always going to be something that could have been better oh man this is pretty interesting because in cloud cuckoo land excellence is all around us in the metaverse that hundred thousand dollar piece is excellent there's no imperfections right but was the excellence achieved in the creation of that i think not yeah because the attitude wasn't behind it. Exactly. I almost take more pride in a piece of furniture where I have a, a pretty big mistake that I fix where no one else knows it's there. Do you I'm ever like, point it out yeah. to people? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes like, see there right there? Yeah, my router slipped there. And Who do you point it out to? Uh... Sometimes I'll, I'll bring Katie, my wife, into the shop and ask her if she sees something wrong. We're <laughs> 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 like... like Good, right? That's, that's <laughs> like he gets you. Because, you know, I, you know a, f- a maker uh, on his or her own work is, is going to be the hardest, the hardest critic. Mm-hmm. And, I, sure. and I know that, and I try and, as I'm making something, I try and not stall out on, on my flow and momentum by just saying, it's just a chair. It's just a chair. Like, just do it. Just, just build it. It's just a chair. It's not... It, I'm, I'm trying not to put any piece of work on a pedestal because it's never going to be perfect. Right. Like wood is not perfect. It's yeah. A, it's a plant. Yeah. You know, it's, right. Um, so, and that one thing I think that he kind of speaks to in this article is that our, our work is a proof of our character, you know, our work. Yeah. Whatever it is. And right. Somewhere in here, but like, yeah, yeah. The bottom line, and he didn't say that explicitly, but what we do with our our life, our attention, our talents, etc., is is a, is the only tangible form of like our mindset. So, I feel like you know when we know we're striving for perfection or excellence, and we know we fix mistakes or 
you know, continuously edited something until we were, you know, finding a place where we were satisfied, you know, I think that is that, you know, representative of our character. And that's when we can be okay with something is if it meets our, our own standards for ourself, for our own integrity mm-hmm. in, in a tangible form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, I have so much I want to keep thinking about and keep talking about. Can we talk about like one more thought? Yeah, let's do it. We don't have a time limit on this. All right, good. So how early is too early to start learning these, these lessons? And again, I think that everything that we're talking about here is growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think you you can learn it early enough. I mean, I don't know if you're going to understand it Mm -hmm. like the way we're getting into it, but you know, um, I had my my uh, kindergartner's parent teacher conference today, Mm -hmm. and. it's a funny example considering this conversation, but we were talking about... I, I was asking her about technology. You know, every kindergartner gets an iPad these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Different topic, for sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, thankfully, she was like, I don't really like using it that much. She's been teaching for like 30 years, so I'm like, well, that's okay. good. But she was talking about coding and how they have technology class. And in that class... In kindergarten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, well, in their quote-unquote coding... And she even told me today, she was like, they don't understand their coding. They just feel like they're playing games. But what they're doing is, in essence, coding, hmm. you know? And it's so different. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, like, it was like computer lab back in our day, like, where there was, like, some little, like, creature you would, like, you know, code to, like, go forward and then sideways and then up and, like, draw a line. You can make it, like, draw a line around it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So it's, you know... Elementary, elementary school in the 90s. I only remember typing in the Oregon yeah. Trail. Yeah. yeah, Oregon Trail, for sure. <laughs> um, but in any case, why it's relevant, I think, is that she was talking about teaching my five-year-old something that is, is quite complex, coding. You know, it can get really, really in, um, involved. But they're teaching it in a way that is is much more simplified you know and so when you're asking how early is it to learn these lessons i don't think it can be explicitly you know discussed in in the way we're doing it with children like the the kids you work with but i think you're already teaching these kids these things i think some of it can be explicitly discussed Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things that i share especially with adults is that it's one thing to talk about growth mindset but it's another to feel it Mm. and 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 what we're doing in this Lloyd classroom they are feeling yeah they're feeling it yeah they're feeling it in reality yeah in their hands in their hearts in their heads every single day Mm. and and uh, I mean we have them fill out some little worksheets and we've had some um, surveys that the students have completed and some of the feedback that we're getting is really it's blown my mind how much they are embracing that idea of the pursuit of excellence yet release of attaining perfection mm-hmm. and, and that our first work isn't our best work and we're going to truly learn from our mistakes 
and trying again. Somebody, one of the students in the classroom recently on the whiteboard, I have no idea who it was, but they wrote that on the whiteboard. Fun mistakes. Fun mistakes, yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And what sort of opportunity are, are kids getting in which they can learn this now? Mm-hmm. Right? What sort of people would we have been had we learned this now? Or learned this when we were mm-hmm. kids? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe the same person. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. But I, I like to think that um, when uh, somewhere in here he talks about we learned long ago that um, nothing is as easy as it looks. Mm-hmm. I feel like I learned that recently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? right? But what if we did learn it long ago? Like, what sort of character would, mm-hmm. would that um, have built in us in our, our formative years in, in high school, you know, et cetera? I think about is that, you know, it's like Newton's law that every reaction, or every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe as our society goes towards a metaversal future, you mm-hmm. know, this digital realm, there is an equal but opposite reaction yeah. away from that. Right. You know, mm-hmm. into people like us and I'm sure many of our listeners mm-hmm. thinking, well, you know what? Actually, I feel a s- even stronger urge to push away from this right. and to find... And it could be really healthy. You totally. Know, because instead of going right down the middle on autopilot, we might have these diverging realities. Yeah. But it's ma- it's bringing to the forefront stuff that may not have been at the forefront for, for mm-hmm. too long. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be a really positive um, I like that thing. spin, yeah. Marty. I, I like that spin. Yeah. I'll take that. I think maybe we should close it there. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Unless there's any parting shots. I think we touched it all. All right. Yep. Don't forget DTE. Down, down, down to, to earth. earth. Down to earth. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Good chat, gents.